Psalm 61, this psalm, this psalm is titled uh, To the Chief Musician on a Stringed Instrument. It's a psalm of David. Um, now, David was often in trouble, and um, we don't know the life circumstances maybe which prompted this psalm, uh, but it does seem to come after he came to the throne uh, because of several uh, references. Uh, some thinks that it may be... Uh, during the time of Absalom's uh, rebellion, but there's no way to really put a, uh, a pinpoint time uh, during this, but we know it was a, a very troubling time uh, in David's life, and he often, as he did many, many times, uh, turned to God in his time of need. Uh, let's look at the first couple of verses and, and kind of analyze that. He says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So he starts out first, hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. I, I think this is a, a wise uh, prayer or wise way of, of David, I think, wording this prayer because he understood that uh, God hears all prayers in one sense, but does God respond in the same way when he hears those prayers? Um, you know, when you think of some of the needs that we go to God for and the person's life that's going to God, uh, there's a difference there. Uh, there's a difference in God seeing our need. There's a difference in God seeing our wants. There's a difference of God knowing what's best for us in that particular time. Now, we can get into a whole discussion on uh, how does God answer prayers. You know, uh, does he always answer yes? Does he sometimes answer no? Does he sometimes answer maybe? You can make the argument that is if we prayed the way that God said for us to, uh, thy will be done, he'll always answer in the affirmative that way, wouldn't he? Because his will is always going to be done. But I like how David here, he says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. It, it's like he's making a, per, a, a personal statement, a personal request, a personal plea to God. Okay, God, I, is, this isn't just a general prayer to you. I want you to attend to this prayer. I want you to hear my cry. You know, David makes reference many times of God leaning down or, or, or coming down to him leaning his ear to him, as in David, may, you know, he talked about one time being in a pit and, and God leaning down and getting him from that pit. I think that's what David's talking about here. David is, and that's one thing that all still impresses me about going through the Psalms here and, and really seeing how David pleads to God and cries out to God. Uh, David's, I don't believe, using his prayer voice. I don't believe he's using big words just to be heard. He's crying out to God in need personally. He, he, he's directly talking to God. And there's no doubt in his mind that's what he's doing. And there's no doubt in his mind that God's hearing him. So he is, uh, he, he's almost like he's saying, oh, you know, like somebody's talking to you. You ever had somebody be talking to you and, and, and you're listening to him, but they stop and they say, no, I want you to hear what I'm saying. My wife tells me that all the time. You know, I'm like, I'm listening, I'm listening. No, I want you to look me in the eye. I want, you, I want to know that you're hearing what I'm saying. It's almost like that's what David is saying. He's not chastising God. He just, he, he's saying, I want you to attend to my prayer. I want your full attention. I, I want to know that, that you're hearing my cry. 
And that's what David is needing, and I like that he's making it uh, that personal. Uh, when you think of this kind of prayer as opposed to, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6 when it came to how uh, uh, the Pharisees prayed, is there any difference in these prayers? And how they did and how David does? Yes, no, maybe. Remember what Jesus said? They like to hear themselves for their big words. They like to stand in the street corners. They like to put on a show. They like to do all of these things. He says they will have their reward. Now what did Jesus mean by that? They're going to have their reward. They're going to get uh, 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 their reward for praying like that. What reward are they going to get? Here on earth? Yeah. They had exactly what they wanted, the praises of men. And if I'm praying to have the praises of men, if I'm praying to be seen, if I'm praying to... Uh, uh, I, I can remember one time I had a visiting preacher at a congregation that I was at, and they asked him to lead prayer. And quite honestly, when he got done, there wasn't a whole, whole lot of time left to preach. I mean, it was, it was a pretty long prayer, a lot of big words. He used a lot of Scripture. He told God where they were in Scripture. Um, I mean, he, he went through a lot of things. And after we got done, uh, the treasurer came up to me afterwards. He said, you want me to pay him today or pay you? He said, because he did all the preaching today, you know. And, and it's not about making fun, but this individual, it was all about the show. I mean, it was obvious it was about the show. I mean, it, he quoted Scripture after Scripture, and he told God where they were in Scripture. He told, you know, and just went on and on and on. And I'm thinking, are, are you doing this for us? Are you doing it for you, or are you doing it for God? Who, who is this prayer actually for? And, and one thing you see here with, uh, uh, with, with David, I don't see him using big words. I don't see him most of the time out in public doing this. This is between him and God. It's him in his hiding place, or it's him in his crouched down hid. It's him in his pit of despair, just between him and God. This prayer written for anybody else, but what David is focusing on with God. He doesn't need anybody to hear it, but he needs God to hear it, doesn't he? And I think we need to take note of that. We need to, and I, I think about my prayer life. One, do I have a good enough prayer life? Two, what does my prayer life consist of? You know, I find myself sometimes, you know, in a public prayer, and I'll sit down and I'll think, okay, what did I just say? What words did I use? Do I normally talk like that? Do I, do I usually say those kind of things? And I'm thinking, okay, what was that prayer for? You know, was it uh, to make sure you got everything in? Was it to make sure? And I know our public prayers are different than our, our, our private personal prayers, but we have to remember who we're talking to, be reverent. We have to remember that, it, that it's God, the Almighty God, but it ha we have to remember that God wants us to talk to Him, doesn't He? He, he wants us to have that relationship with Him. And, and David has that relationship, and I like how he says this, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayers. And he says, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you. Um, now, what was David saying here? Was this a metaphor that David is using? That, okay, when I'm at the very end, when I don't have any farther to go, he says, here's what I'm still going to do. I, I will still cry to you. Or is, is David literally at the end? I read a few uh, that think that he was at the edge of the promised land and still realizing, okay, this is God's area, but even farther than this, God goes farther than this. I, I believe he's talking more in the sense of 
wherever I go and whatever I'm into, whatever is, is coming upon me, I'm still going to cry to you. Nothing's going to change that. So whether he's talking about physical, physical location or a, a, a physical or emotional state in which he's in, he's still going to cry to God all the way to the end. It's not going to be any different, and no one is going to stop him from doing that. Now notice, look at all the things that happened to David. Look at all the things that he was involved in, all the times he was on the run, all the times he even found himself in sin and, and trying to find his way back to God. You see all this, he, he never lost sight of one thing. He never lost sight that I've got to stay connected to God. And he realized when he didn't feel like he was to get back to that way. But one thing his enemy could never take away from him is his relationship with God. There's really nothing they could do to do that. He still had God to go to, even when he might have felt alone, even when he was hid in the caves and the rocks and on the cliffs, even when he was, you know, running for his life, God was always a part of his life. I, I don't think, I tried to look back and see through the Psalms that we've read so far, I think David always felt in despair. I think he always felt like, uh, and there was times that he felt like everybody around him was against him. But I don't know that he ever felt alone. I think he always realized God was there with him and that he could always, you know, talk to God. And that's, that's the great thing about prayer is you can tell God things you can't tell somebody else. One, because maybe you don't want to tell somebody else. Or two, maybe you can't put it in words to tell somebody else. You, you can always go to God. He knows what we need before we even ask Him. So if it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm trying to, to cope with something I'm going through and I can't just put it into words that I need to tell somebody else, guess who I can tell? I can tell God. God understands even if I can't put it into words. God knows what I'm going through. And I can go to Him at any time. And I think that's what David felt like. Even the times he cried out that he just fell in in awful despair, I don't believe he ever felt alone. Other than the times he felt that he was separated from God because of what he had done in his life and knew that he had to get that relationship, uh, relationship back. But he says, from the end of the earth I will cry to you. Now notice, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David knew there would be times when his heart was overwhelmed in those moments uh, he needed at least uh, maybe three things here. Notice one, rock. He said he needed him to be his rock. David knew something about protection in rocks, didn't he? That's where he spent a lot of his time, wouldn't it? <laughs> it it's hiding in caves, running through the, the hills, running through the cliffs. And he said, you know, God, you're my rock. So he needed God to be his rock when he's overwhelmed, but not only his rock, he said a rock that is higher than I. So I, I can almost picture David hiding and crouching in these rocks in the hills or in the cave, and he's down and he's just hiding and he, he knows he can't go anywhere because everybody's after him. It's almost like he's picturing, if I could get up on this high cliff, this high ledge that God is, uh, uh, you know, on for me that it can take me higher than any enemy that I have. So he's looking at, okay, I'm hiding in all of these rocks, but the one true rock, the one rock that is higher than I, nothing can touch me there. 
Nothing can get to me. You know, if God's for me, who can be against me? So, so he's looking here to uh, first the rock, but not only a rock, a rock that's higher than I, he says. And he needs God to lead him to that rock. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What do you think he means by that? That, that he wants God to take him to this particular ledge. And God, if you'll just take me to this one place, Saul will never find me. Or my enemies will never get to me. Or what does he mean? Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. I think once again he's talking about maybe not a, a physical rock, but I think he's talking about, you know, God, keep me on the path that I need to that's going to bring me the shelter and the protection that I need to have. You know, again, I, I think David knows in the back of his mind, okay, God has, and this had to be perplexing to, to uh, uh, David, I still kind of compare David's life in some instances to, to Abraham sacrificing Isaac. It had, to be, it had to be a contrast in his mind. God picked me out here. God said, this is what you're going to do. Nathan explained to me, this, this is who you're going to be. But yet doing that, yeah, now I'm having to run for my life and there's always somebody wanting to kill me. So did he ever think, well, I can just stand out here. It won't matter. God's not going to let anything happen to me. Or was it that he knew God was on his side, but he had certain things that he had to do to make sure that he was doing what God wanted him to do to fulfill that promise? Um, you know, it, it had to be had to be kind of hard. I, I, I can just imagine him sometimes sitting in the cave thinking, uh, "This is what being king's going to be like. This is what being the chosen one's going to be like." This, you know, you think about Job. You know, God is the one called Job out to Satan, wouldn't he? Have you considered Job? You know, where have you been? I've been going to and fro on face of earth. Well, wait a minute. Have you not considered my servant Job? Okay, let's, let's, let's do him. You know, go to him for a little while. It's almost like the, you know, I, I, I've said that when we studied Job, and I'm about to be like that with David. I always like to be the one in the class. I, I want to get through. I want to pass, but I don't want the teacher calling on me. I don't want to go to the blackboard and have to figure out some problem or write something on there so everybody can see when I mess up. I want to be kind of in the background. Well, God doesn't let us be in the background all the time, does he? He wants us to be in the forefront. He, he knows what we're capable of because sometimes we don't know what we're capable of. We don't know what we're able to accomplish until we get to the front of the room sometimes and, and, and get out of our comfort zone you know, Job had to go through that. David's having to go through that. You look at things with Abraham. You, you look at all of these great biblical characters. They're, they're, in a sense, they're no different than how we are. They didn't know what they were capable of until they were put in the middle of it, did they? You know, you think of all the excuses that Moses gave. Moses tried every way in the world to get out of what he was going to have to do. And God had to tell him, quit telling me excuses. I made you. I know what you're capable of. I know who you are. Now go do it, and I'll send you someone to help out in the areas that you can do. So the same thing is here with David. God always provided a way. But if you see how the things that David went through, I just wonder at the moment, can David see that? You know, he's crying out to God, and he even tells God numerous times, if you don't help here, I'm, I'm physically going to die. Remember the assassins waiting outside of his house? You know, I'm going to physically die, so I need you to help me here. God brought David to the point many times, like he does many individuals, 
okay, there's nowhere else to look but up. You know, there's no one else to trust in. There's no, there, there's no plan that you can come up with that in your mind can reasonably get you out of this situation. So who else you got to turn to? D- don't we need to be in those places sometimes? Don't, don't we need to be in there, one, maybe to humble us, but two, to help us, to strengthen us, to realize when it's all said and done, God is really the only one we can truly trust in anyway. You know, when it, when it, when it really counts. Burton, do you think? Well, I think the, the key to it is when you see individuals, and we have the benefit of looking at the whole picture, you see the suffering they have to go through to once save themselves, but two, maybe to save others. You know, they have to go through certain things to get to a place where they're able to say, you, you look at Joseph's life. Joseph's life's a good example of that. Look at all the suffering that he had to go through to get into a place to where he could save his family. Would you ever thought that, you know, of what they did to him, that had to happen for him to get into the place to be able to save them, you know? So as you look at David's life, you start seeing all of these things uh, start adding up. But to David, these are moment-by-moment things. We, we, we can look back and see it from here and here and here. David, okay, I'm dealing with this now. Tomorrow I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. Each time he's dealing with that, but each time... He's crying out to God, and he's wanting God, you lead me to the rock that's higher than I. I'm going through all of this. It's almost like David's saying, okay, in the middle of all this, I could take the wrong path. I, I, I could take the wrong path because of the pain I'm going through or the suffering I'm going through or uh, uh, that I'm scared at the time, and I just start running this way when I don't need to be running that way. I'm not clear thinking. I'm not sober-minded because I'm afraid or, 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 or uh, you know, I'm running for my life or something's going on, and he's wanting to make sure God keeps him on the path that's going to take him to that protection. Titus, do you have something? Yeah, we can't talk to God like we talk to each other. How you doing? I'm doing fine. We tell God that. God's like, okay, you need to try that again. <laughs> you know, you're not fine. Uh, you, you, you know, there's, there's a difference there. Uh, Pharisee and the publican, the difference in their prayers. One prayed basically, God, aren't you glad I'm on your side? Look how great I am. And the other couldn't even lift up his head to God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And Jesus said, which one left justified? The one who realized they're a sinner, but realized they needed God, and they didn't need, God didn't need them to tell them how great they were, and boy, aren't you glad I'm, I'm on your side, God. You can't, you know, you couldn't do this without me. And I think sometimes we can get into that mode of, uh, you know, by even looking at someone else and saying, well, I'd never go for that, or that'd never happen to me, or, well, I'd overcome that. You ought to do better than that. And then what happens when something hits us? You know, it's like a, a fellow told me one time, he said, I, I'm scared to become a Christian. He said, because what if next week I can't be faithful? He said, then what happens? And I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to be faithful next week. I've not faced next week's trials yet. I hope with, with prayer and I hope with study and I hope with experience along the way each day, I will be able to, but I've not faced next week's trials yet. Satan is still back here saying, okay, this didn't work on Ronald, but let's try this. This didn't work, so let's try this. You know, he, he, he's, he's, he's going to fight as hard as he possibly can to find those weak areas. That, that's what he's good at. That's why we've got to put on the whole armor of God to protect everything that God does. If we don't put on the whole armor, if we just put on part of it, we've got some things exposed, don't we? And Satan knows what part we didn't put on. So that's the part that he's going to go for. That's why Paul stresses put on the whole armor of God that you may be, with, be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Because you won't be able to do it any other way. You've got to have that whole armor. And I think that's what David, David sees here. But I like how he says, okay, first you're my rock. And he says, I, I need that rock that's higher than I. You know, yeah, I can hide in here, but I, I need that ultimate protection. But I need you to lead me to it. I, I need you to direct me. You know, what's the Bible say? There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end therefore are the ways of death. It's not up to man to direct his own steps. Not in the right way, because all we see is what's in front of us. And what's in front of us may be skewed by how we're feeling. We may be scared, we may be mad, we may be self-righteous, we may be... There's a lot of things we can be feeling at that time could lead us into a particular path that leads us the wrong way. But we need God to lead us uh, to that ultimate uh, protection. Uh, let's look at verses 3 and 4. He says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Salah. So he puts a, a pause in here. He says, Okay, I, I need to think about, meditate for a moment here on what I just said. What I'm thinking about. And what's he thinking about here? What's he wanting to pause on? That God has been his shelter. So what's David doing what he continuously, do, continuously does? Notice, for you have been shelter for me. So he's looking back. He's trusting in what God's already done for him. He says, here's, okay, I'm telling you to lead me here. And I'm confident you're going to do it because guess what? You've done it before. You, you, you have been a shelter for me. You, you, you've protected me this far. I want you to keep me on that path. So I like how, God, how David here recalls back. Okay, and, and that may be some of the things that he couldn't see in the moment. Okay, I've got to this far. Okay, what's God done for me? He's, he's protected me when assassins were after me. He's protected me when, when I was on the run here. He was able to protect me over here. I, I think he's starting to look back and seeing, you have sheltered me. 
you have protected me. You are my protector, and I need you to continue to be that. He said, you're a strong tower from the enemy. I like how David talks about a rock that's higher than I, this, this strong tower. David is always picturing this place of, I can just get higher than everybody else. The best fortified cities were where? Yeah, on the mountain that you couldn't get to. You know, it's hard to go uphill and fight somebody, you know. So David is saying, with God, that's the ultimate high. That, that's the ultimate defense. When, when, I, when I'm at that place, when God gets me there, nothing can touch me. Now, if we think about it, as children of God, we're always in that place, aren't we? You say, well, no, things happen to children of God. But don't we have ultimate protection? Say something happens to us and we die. Are we still protected? Yeah, we're still in that ultimate protection. So we're on that rock that's higher than I. And I, the Bible is littered with, with Scripture telling us that's how we have to think. We have to think above this. Because if we don't think above this, we stay marred up in this, don't we? We have to think higher than this, higher than the trial we're facing, higher than the trouble we're going through, higher than the doubt that we have, higher than the sin that, that so easily besets us. Whatever it is, we've got to walk higher than that and realize that ultimate protection is over this. Yeah. Well, I keep hearing it. Isn't there a song, The Rock That's Higher Than I? I think there's actually a song of that. Uh, I've been singing it in my head, but I can't think of the words. The, the melody's there, but I couldn't ever think of the words. But yeah, I mean, and you think about, now think about this psalm. You know, th this is a, a psalm. This is to be sung. This is to, you know, you think about, you know, the purpose of, of our singing today. What is it? To teach and admonish and to praise God, right? You, you think about these, these psalms that uh, Antinous is, is thinking about or talking about, and I'm going to put him on the spot of, of, of maybe doing a psalms class sometime of actually going through the psalms and, and singing those. I wish I had that ability to do that. But you think about the comfort that that could bring and, and the purpose that we sing. Sometimes we don't give our songs. I mean, I, I just have to speak for myself. There's sometimes we sing some songs. I don't give it a second thought while we're singing it. You know, I don't give a thought, you know, I've done sermons before, we should be thinking about what we sing and understand what we sing, but I always do it from the mindset of make sure we're teaching correctly, to make sure we're, we're uh, uh, not saying anything false, make sure we're understanding the words, because there's some words in songs I don't understand. I always do it from that perspective, but what about the perspective of this? Of, of, of praising, of singing praises to God, of, of, of crying out to God with our struggles. Of, can you imagine that, that just release of that? How, how emotional that, that would be. And you say, well, emotions just shouldn't have anything to do with it. I think this was emotional for David, you know, because David was dealing with it. But you think about, you know, just singing this over. Okay, here's the trials I'm going through, but I'm going through these trials, so that's the first you know, stanza, as it were, of this song. I'm going through these trials. I need you to hear my cry, God. And then the next one is, you've heard them. You are my shelter. You are my strength. You are my rock. Not only are you my rock, but you're the rock that's higher than I. 
So you, you start seeing this progression of, yeah, and then I like how they put the pause, he puts the pause here of, yeah, I need to meditate on that a minute. I need to think about that and realize that God has been my strength. He said, I will bi- abide in your tabernacle forever. Um, there's some thought about this when it comes to tabernacle. Uh, some say the word tabernacle is simply the word for tent. Uh, David had, he's either, he said he wasn't t- talking about necessarily the tabernacle itself, but I will always abide wherever you go. Where I am, my tent will be yours, is what he's kind of referencing to, it says. I don't know personally which one he may have been talking to. There, there's some you can go back and, and, and uh, different ways the word is used. But I think either way it means the same thing. Uh, David is saying, I'm going to be where you are. I, you're part of my life. You're, where I am is where you're going to be because I'm putting you at the forefront of my life. I'm trusting you with, with what I'm doing. He said, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Uh, when it comes to trusting in God for everything, you know, you hear the term, you just got to let it go and let God. Well, that's a, a, a pretty profound statement, but do we do that? Are we truly, I tell you where I have a trouble with, and, and some of my best studies, and uh, one of uh, my favorite lessons that, that I think about sometimes that as I was studying is understanding, because I have a hard time of doing this, is understanding the difference of trusting God to do something, but a lot of times our trust is focused on, okay, I need you to do it, but I need you to do it this way. And then we're disappointed when he does it. When our trust in God shouldn't be that, our trust in God is, I know you're able to do it, I don't know how you're going to do it. don't know if you're going to do it. I just know you're able to do it. That's all I need. How do you get to that point? As, as we can go back to that furnace face, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how do you get to that point of, you can do what you want to. Our God's able to deliver us. But even if he does it, we're not going to serve you. I love that, even if he does it. How, how often can our, is our faith strong enough to say that in some trial we're going through? Even if he doesn't, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to do wrong. It's telling Satan, even if I don't get out of this situation, even if he doesn't get me out of this particular physical situation, I'm still not going to do what you want me to do because I win either way. I mean, I, I win either way. You can't beat that kind of faith. That's saving faith. That's believing faith. That's Hebrews 11 faith, isn't it? Is, is, is getting to that point. And David here is saying, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. David still went through all kinds of trouble, but he said, I'm trusting in your protection. Some will look at that and say, well, God didn't protect him very much. Look at all he went through. I think God protected him a whole lot. Job. <laughs> yeah, Job is a, is a prime example of that. Oh, mate, I've just got five minutes. Uh, let's look at verses five through seven. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Now this is a pretty profound statement. 
Look in 2 Samuel 7, verses 11, starting in verse 11. Maybe this is something David is, is thinking about at this time. It says, Now therefore, thus says you, uh, thus shall you say to my servant David, it's God talking to Nathaniel here, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them. They may dwell in the place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more, as previously. Now notice starting here at verse 11. Since the time I commanded the judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, you will come from your... Uh, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chastise him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now think about that as David says this, You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years are many generations. He shall abide before God forever. You think David was thinking about that when he said this? Now, there's some discussion on who actually this is talking about. Is this a messianic uh, uh, part of the psalm here, talking of establishing it forever, talking about Jesus? There's, there's some says that it's not because he talks about his iniquity and Jesus didn't have any iniquity. Well, Isaiah 53 says he became our iniquity, didn't he? You know, he, he became sin for us. He didn't open his mouth. You go back and read Isaiah uh, uh, 53 that we sometimes read, uh, uh, prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. So was he talking about David's son physically or was he talking about Christ establishing it forever? I, I believe he was talking about Christ. Um, I, I believe David is... Now, whether David knew that at the time, um, I don't know. There, I guess there's immediate uh, meaning in the uh, 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 prolonged one. But God is telling him, from you, this is what's going to be established forever. And, and, and David has to understand, even if he doesn't understand all of it, which maybe he did, he, he still has to understand God's protection is going to be there. Something's different about what he's doing and what he needs to accomplish uh, and what God's going to ultimately accomplish through him. So in that essence, you know, that's how David is trusting in God. The end result is going to be what God wants it to be. And I think we all have to look at it like that. The end result is going to be what God wants it to be. Now, there's things along the line that I could cause more heartache on myself I, I could cause things to, to happen because of the way in which my, I live my life, or I could make my life a lot better by the way in which I live my life. I, we can have a big impact on that. But David understands he has a purpose, and he needs to live up to that purpose. I think that's why he continues to ask God, you lead me to this. 
you know, you, you lead me. Go back and read uh, 23rd Psalms. He talks about how God protects him, how God leads him, how God takes care of him, and how he'll abide there forever. So, so David understands at least that portion of it to understand that God is his ultimate protection. You know, you start thinking about, you want really encouragement Go back and read these things about Job. Read these things about David. Read, read about all the hardships that they go through. But you see, in those hardships is when they trusted God the most. Even though at times they didn't understand it. That was Job's biggest problem. He didn't understand exactly what was going on. Didn't understand why it was going on. But he had to get to the point to where you know, God is ultimately, when God chimed in, telling him, Trust me. <laughs> I've got your best interest at heart. You've got to trust me. Life may not seem fair. Guess what? Life's not fair. God never said it was going to be fair. He never said it was going to be a bed of roses. But he did promise his protection. And that ultimate protection is eternal life. The ultimate protection don't mean I'll be without suffering here or I'll be without death here. It, it, it's with him. In verse 8, So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. So he's going to daily perform his vows. He's going to sing their pra his praises forever. David says what he always says. No matter what, I'm still praising you. I'm still trusting in you. And I think that's ultimately where we have to be and what we have to do.